Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. There's rain falling outside my window. Has it fallen outside of yours? Would love to know how much rain's been falling and what it's doing where you are. Remember, you can send us a photo now too if you feel like it. 0467 842 Of course, when the rain starts to fall, there are a lot of nervous communities, particularly downstream of major water storages, whether that be in northern Victoria or in Gippsland, worried about what it will mean for them. And with flood warnings afoot, there are some of those concerns already today. We'll go through some of that. How are you feeling? How much have you got? Does it mean you've had to put the brakes on harvest? Send us a text, 0467 842 Also today, we'll talk water of a different kind. The Basin legislation has the support now of the numbers that the government needs to get it through Parliament. But with a few amendments, we'll hear about what those are shortly on the program. But let's start with rural news and the wonderful Emma Field. Emma. G'day, Warwick. The big wet across Victoria has been felt elsewhere in Australia today. And the clean-up has started across parts of the far west of New South Wales after a storm brought some record-breaking rain, hail and damaging winds. There's been reports from 30 millimetres through to 104 millimetres at Ivanhoe with Sunset Strip near Menindee turning into a snowfield of hail and the golf course went underwater. But there are a few complaints from landholders there who haven't seen such big rainfalls for a long time. Barb Arnold owns Bindara on the Darling, located on the west side of the Darling River between Menindee and Pooncarry. She's very happy with the 52 millimetres that fell at her place. We didn't get quite the snow effect that they got, though, but um, <laughs> we had 19 mils of rain with it and we, when we had the hail, we had a bit of hail as well. Only lasted for 10 minutes and it was all over. Mm-hmm. Like the tap turned off and then um, overnight, oh my gosh, um, after midnight, around about one o'clock, it was absolutely hosing down. It was hosing. Oh, mate. <laughs> Bob, all up. Do you, do you know how much you received this week? Yeah, 52 mils, mate. Wow. What does it mean for your place, uh, Bob, leading into summer? Oh, look, it'll just give it a, a, a breath of fresh air. It had dried off really, really badly. Um, still plenty of feed there, but um, the fire danger, in my mind, was very, very high. A Singapore-based conglomerate has made a bid to take over one of Australia's largest cotton gin operators. David Chen reports. Global commodity trader Louis Dreyfus has announced plans to purchase the Toowoomba-based company Nimoy Cotton. The Singapore-based conglomerate currently owns a 17% stake in Nimoy Cotton and early this week revealed its proposal on the Australian Stock Exchange to buy up the remaining 81% of the company. Louis Dreyfus says the move comes after a result of a strategic review into the business. It says it intends to continue operating the Moy Cotton's 10 cotton gins as normal, keep an office open in Toowoomba, as well as retaining the brand. Other shareholders have supported the proposed bid, which is expected to be voted on in the coming months. Australia is swimming in wine due to a massive oversupply across the country. Given the challenging conditions for the industry and big shifts in global trends and export markets, what can Australian producers do? Rabobank's Pia Piggott, speaking at this week's Wine Industry Impact Conference in Adelaide, says wine producers could look to other industries who've dealt with similar issues. We have over 875 Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of wine in storage in Australia. And, of course, not all of that is oversupply, but a lot of that is. We've seen over the past three years... We've had a series of unfortunate events in the wine industry, which has left a huge glut of wine in Australia. We've had 
anti-dumping tariffs from China. Uh, we've had record production uh, in 2021. And we've also had a lot of logistics bottlenecks with COVID, which have meant that we haven't been able to grow our exports and get ourselves out of the glut. A new game developed by researchers at the University of New South Wales aims to educate rural and regional teenagers about farm safety. The Calm Your Farm game was co-designed with students from agricultural high schools across New South Wales and Tasmania to teach the next generation of farmers how to minimise the risk of injuries on farm. Sam Ayesha spoke to Dr Amy Peden, Senior Research Fellow and Project Lead at UNSW. We have learnt a lot about gamification over the process of this uh, this project. We basically pitched that. It's a, it's a government-funded initiative that we applied for funding under, uh, and we really thought that gamification would make this kind of farm injury prevention education a bit more engaging for this age group. Uh, we did actually co-design this game with uh, students at rural agricultural high schools across two states in Australia, and they told us that the farm safety education they get through schools is very boring. It's kind of tick and flick, uh, reading information, then answering multiple choice questions. And so we saw an opportunity to kind of make it a bit more fun, gamify it, have that competitive uh, thing where we try and kind of better our score each time and then learn through repetition as we try to level uh, again and again. Uh, And so that's really the approach that we've taken with Calm Your Farm. And finally, South Australia has its very first cherry queen to kick off the local cherry season pick a local pick sa and the sa produce markets auction off this season's first box of cherries to raise money for variety the children's charity the group of retailers growers and produce bid amongst themselves to score the cherries and also the illustrious title of cherry king or queen and i'm told we've had a long list of cherry kings but until now no queens. This year's winner was expected to pay more than $10,000 a kilo for a five kilo box of cherries. The winning bid was a whopping $60,000 and it came from SA Produce Market Board member Christine Scalzi. I'm feeling very regal today. <laughs> I, I hope so. Do you do you get a crown? Does the cherry queen get a crown? Got, I'm, I'm actually wearing a crown and a cake. <laughs> Fantastic. How wonderful. Um, So you've bid uh, successfully for the cherries this week. Just how much do you get for your winning bid? Um, I get the five kilo box of cherries and I also feel that, I don't know, I think it's a lot more than that. I feel very honoured and um, happy to be um, supporting the variety because it's for families with children with disadvantages and I don't know. It's, for me, it's very close to my heart. Being a mum, you you know, you always want the best for your children. So I think, you know, donating sixty thousand dollars is is it's a great cause, and it'll go to a lot of families in need, which makes me really happy and proud. Was sounds like a cherry important title and. Just in time for Christmas. But that wraps up Rural News. Thank you very much for that, Emma Field, there with Rural News. You're the best. That's hilarious. I was trying to think of what what agricultural produce I'd want to be the king of. I think at the moment it's apricots. I love a, I love a good apricot. Maybe there's a room for an apricot king somewhere. Anyway, more important issues afoot here on the country. Rainfall coming down large areas of Victoria. I want to know how much you've had. Also want to know what it's what it means at your place. Not all rainfall is good rainfall.
But there is still good rainfall at this time of year, right? It can, can mean multiple things. So send us a text, 0467 842 Quick look at that. Uh, Robert Chilton's had 11 overnight, raining now. Kevin at Myrtleford's had only six overnight. Uh, Cobra Meast had one inch overnight, I think that's trying to say. Now, next thing, bendy eyes. Well, that is what the weather's going to do, I suppose. Just not a good thing. Kylie from Daysdale, 24 millimetres of rain since 9am Tuesday, four and a half mils at 9am uh, for Barry and Kyabram. Uh, 38 millimetres at Durham Ox, now 58 millimetres for the week. I love Durham Ox, one of the great town names. 22 millimetres at Pranjip for Neil. 12 millimetres so far at Birragurra. Great for the summer crop. Good day to catch up on bookwork, says Stuart. That's the info. We love to get Stuart. Thank you very much. And I also love this from Leo. G'day, Was. On Friday, I asked Chewy to send it down, and wowee, the old fella did just that. We scored 46.5 millimetres over the weekend, and I tipped out another 16.5 this morning at Gundowring in northeast Victoria. Unbelievable weather, old mate, says Leo. Cheers to you too, Leo. Thank you very much for that. 0467 842 722 if you want to ring and add your figure to the list. Of course, when it rains... There are concerns in eastern Victoria. It's on flood watch again this week with heavy rain forecast across the Gippsland catchments. And farmers who were flooded during heavy rain in October say they're worried they could be hit again this week. Steve Dwyer runs a dairy operation in Newry, which is near Lake Glen Maggie, the region's largest irrigation dam. Mr Dwyer says releases from Glen Maggie in October hit his property and he's hoping southern rural water responds quickly to this week's flood alerts and prepares earlier. We're in the McAllister River, uh, probably about 10, 10 kilometres as the crow flies downstream of the uh, Glenaggy Weir. The likelihood of probably up to five inches coming, we would be very concerned, especially with the weir being completely full or, or 90 odd percent full at the moment. The problem was with our last flood, of course, we had no response from Southern Rural Water when they should have been responding. At one o'clock in the morning, they received a fairly major flood warning on the McAllister River at Lacola and literally did nothing until eight o'clock the next morning, which was, you know, seven and a half to eight hours later before they reacted. So we expect now a, uh, a response. As soon as they're getting a flood warning or anything on the on the McAllister north of the uh, Glen Maggie Weir, they react accordingly because otherwise they're just doing catch up. And unfortunately, that's what happened last time. Is you know they just couldn't catch up. They tried to react, but the water was coming in too quick, and they ended up with a fairly major flood where they could have actually dropped the weir fairly early and not had anywhere near the flood. So how concerning is a flood for you and your property? What type of damage could you see if this isn't managed appropriately? We're looking at a a large percentage of our farm being underwater and underutilised. We're also looking at cows standing on banks because there's nowhere else to stand. There's there's one farmer at Newry who had his whole farm underwater. There was... There was literally nowhere for his cows to stand other than in the cow shed. So these things are a real concern to the people of Newry and there's a concern to the people of Tanamba. Um, we're going to be very concerned if anything over, over a moderate flood, which is probably around the, around the 40,000 megalitre, comes down the McAllister River. That's Steve Dwyer speaking there with William Howard and Southern Rural Water, which obviously manages that water storage. Their managing director, Cameron Fitzgerald, says the water management body has already launched its flood management plan. He told Natasha Shapova the organisation has to balance the need to manage flows and the job of maintaining water for irrigators. So we've had people on overnight 
to keep an eye on what is emerging as a potential flood situation. Uh, the flows aren't up at the moment uh, and the flood modelling at the moment shows the mi- most likely scenario is that there's enough space in Lake Glen Maggie to manage the flow. But as we know, these things can happen, uh, can change very quickly and it's a matter of where the rainfall occurs. Uh, so we have a team of people who, are, uh, who stayed up overnight and will continue to do so over the next few days uh, so that we're, at, we're ready and able to act immediately Uh, if rainfall happens to fall in the wrong places uh, and causes uh, a flood. Are you releasing water from Lake Glen Maggie yet? We're making some small releases at the moment, about 1,000 megalitres per day. That is mainly to charge the river to prepare it so that if we need to make bigger releases, we we minimise any damage that a flood might do to to the river. But yes, we are reducing uh, the level uh, a little bit at the moment in preparation. It is important to remember that this is, a, this is a dam that has huge value for irrigators and at the moment the forecasts show that we've got enough space to be able to manage that flow. What, what would the norm, usual sort of release be at this time of year? Uh, the release at this time of year would be lower than that. We, we must make re- environmental releases that pass through uh, Lake Glen Maggie to make sure the river keeps flowing. But at this time of year... This dam is about uh, maintaining the level as high as we possibly can so that irrigators can use that water to grow food and um, produce milk and all of the important things that, that are on our kitchen table uh, throughout the day that we're able to deliver. So we want to keep the dam high at this time of year generally because there's, uh, so that they can be used later in the, in the year. And it looks like the lake's currently at 92% capacity. That's correct. What's the the percentage where you start to get a bit concerned and, and you know increase those releases beyond a thousand megalitres? So it, it all depends on what the what the weather forecast is. If you have uh, very dry conditions, and this is an El Nino year, uh, you can keep the dam level uh, quite high and quite safely high. But of course, if there's rainfall forecast, you need to manage that very well. We've got a bit of airspace at the moment about 13,000 megalitres. And at the moment, with the rain that we're seeing and the forecast we have, it looks like that can be accommodated. But we are ready to act. We've got people, uh, very skilled and capable people, working 24-7 to make sure that if that changes in the moment, we'll be ready to um, do what we need to do to create space and to manage the flood uh, effectively. And, you know, it was only in October that we saw flooding around the Tanamba West uh, area and other towns. What are you doing differently this time around? The, the things that we always must remember are that these are things that are very strong in the community's mind and the community safety is at the forefront of all of our decision-making. That's number one. It was number one for us in October. It remains number one for us now. We've also called this, uh, put on our incident team, uh, 24 hours earlier than we might have otherwise because we want to be completely ready and ready to go. And uh, we've done that. We've stayed up last night. I uh, had our incident commander watching uh, flows. We haven't seen any uh, significant flows materialise at this point, which is a good thing, but uh, we stand ready. That's Southern Rural Water Managing Director Cameron Fitzgerald speaking there. I know 
um, some people, I was chatting to some people around Shepparton yesterday, concerned still about the downstream areas of the Goulburn, uh, which isn't including flood watches as well. But if you have questions, if you're in one of these communities, you know the Bureau's coming up. Happy to put those questions to the Bureau on your behalf. You can send us a text 0467 842 722 or give us a call 1300 Right now... On the country, let's talk water, but in a very different way, the management of the river system of the Murray-Darling Basin, which 44% of Victoria is actually part of the Murray-Darling Basin. It is very important to some of those communities and the legislation around what uh, the future management of the Murray-Darling looks like is in before Parliament right now. I'll get to some of that in a moment, but let's start with some of the deals. Uh, Farmers would have the option to lease rather than sell water to the environment under changes to the Murray-Darling Basin plan currently before the federal parliament. Leasebacks are the latest amendment to the Restoring Our Rivers Bill, which, if approved, would extend the deadline on the existing Murray-Darling Basin plan and permit the use of Commonwealth water buybacks to meet water-saving targets. The government thinks it has the numbers. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Meanwhile, Federal Water Minister Tanya Plibersek announced the option of leasebacks as Independent Victorian Senator David Van offered his support for the legislation in exchange for a deal on leasebacks. Here's a little bit of their press conference yesterday talking about those amendments. Senator Van raised with me that he had some concerns about the social and economic impacts of voluntary water purchase. And so I've agreed to two important changes to the bill. And the first is to make it very clear that leasing water rather than buying it is an option available to us to achieve the targets in the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. I've said all along that voluntary water purchase is not the only tool in the box, that we are looking at on-farm and off-farm efficiency measures uh, and a range of other options. And uh, with this clarification about leasing, that puts another option on the table. Senator Van has also asked me to clarify that I will consider the social and economic impacts of any water purchasing program and that I will report to the Parliament annually about the way that I have considered uh, any such impacts and I have agreed to that amendment as well. Senator Van asked for another amendment which was for me to retain the cap of 1,500 gigalitres of water to be purchased and I'm not able to do that. That would fundamentally change what I'm proposing to do with the Restoring Our Rivers Bill, which is to put more options on the table, not to take options off the table when it comes to achieving the objectives of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. Uh, Senator Van and I have had uh, good discussions about his concerns. He doesn't agree with everything in this bill, I think it's fair to say. And he was particularly raising his concerns about how this may impact dairy farmers and rice growers. And I have sought to give him assurances about how we will minimise any social and economic um, impacts of voluntary water purchase. And how uh, I will continue to say voluntary water purchase is not the only tool in the box when it comes to delivering the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. We're looking at all options. I want to take a common sense approach to delivering on the objectives of the plan. And uh, I want to thank the Senator for the constructive way he's worked. Uh, Thank you, Minister. Uh, And I do thank you for the good faith negotiations you've entered into. It's made it a a pleasure to be able to um, help improve this bill. This bill is important because it will deliver water to our rivers, which, if you look at the the Darling Barker right now, needs water, whereas the Murray really doesn't 
There's parts of it that have been underwater for, for two years and uh, river red gum forests are dying. So what the amendments I've done with this, in this bill do is it allows a bit more flexibility in how the chew can uh, in, uh, get water entitlements. So by leasing, it takes away some of the damaging impacts that buybacks have. By losing that uh, in, in perpetuity part of it that goes with a buyback, farmers are more likely to want to lease their water back to the Commonwealth uh, holder of environmental water, uh, and it gives them flexibility to their business. That leasing term might be 12 months, could be five years, could be 30 years. But that allows the true to hold that water as an entitlement, as an asset on their books, which then they can use for environmental reasons. The second part about being able to uh, consult, consider and report to the Parliament makes it clear that the, the Minister will, as I believe she will, look at the socio-economic impact of what the buybacks and leasebacks are doing and enable the whole of Parliament to uh, be assured that the, the right things are being done by the rivers and by the communities that feed off it. That's independent former Liberal Senator uh, for Victoria, David Van. Also, before that, you heard from the Federal Water Minister, Tanya Plibersek. Uh, So that left the government one vote short of needing the legislation, needing the votes uh, to pass the legislation. The government now has the numbers as of this morning. Um, It says it's got those support. It needs to pass its reforms in the Murray-Darling Basin. Clint Jasper has the details of the latest senator that uh, added his support to the Basin legislation. Here Here are those details from Clint. This morning, ACT Independent Senator David Pocock announced he'll support the government's legislation, joining Victorian Senator David Van and the Greens to secure the numbers for the bill in the Senate. Mr Pocock's support came after he secured a $50 million package for the upper Murrumbidgee River. That will include river restoration work, more monitoring and and science, and really importantly, a a review of the SWEOID, the agreement that the upper Murrumbidgee flows are are governed by with with Snowy Hydro, New South Wales and, and Victoria. In addition, David Pocock also secured $500,000 to support First Nations to participate in water releases from the high country. For too long, First Nations people have been left out of conversations around water, conversations about how water should be used and managed, and then access to water to use it and to manage it on their country. The bill, when passed, will remove the 1,500 gigalitre cap on buybacks legislated by the Coalition, allowing the government to buy water off farmers in the basin to meet the plan's recovery targets, including the additional 450 gigalitres of environmental water. It also gives all basin states except Victoria until 2026 to complete their sustainable diversion limit adjustment mechanism projects. However, following amendments to the bill by the Greens, it also gives the federal government the power to withdraw projects they deem unviable. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek told the 7.30 program earlier this week the government will pursue all options necessary to meet the plan's water recovery targets. I mean, we want to do on-farm efficiency measures, off-farm efficiency measures. We're looking at land and water purchases. We're looking at a whole range of things to make sure that we deliver the Murray-Darling Basin Plan in full. A vote on the legislation is likely in the coming days. 
I'll get to some of your texts on this in a minute. This is before the Senate as we speak, and the government's Senator Jenny McAllister in the Senate, who's the Assistant Minister for Climate Change and Energy, has been representing Tanya Plibersek in that debate and answering questions of senators about the legislation. There was this one from Malcolm Roberts, who's a One Nation senator, on what this means for Victoria, given Victoria hasn't signed up to this deal that I thought was worth listening to the question and the answer. Here are the details. Minister, can you inform for clarity the Senate as to the legal position of water buybacks in a state where the state government has opposed water buybacks? Specifically, does the state government have the power to block your water buybacks should they so choose? Thanks for the question, Senator. Um, The legislation before us enables voluntary water purchase. Um, Voluntary water purchase can be undertaken in the context of a market from willing sellers. Um, It's possible for um, any actor to enter the water market and make a purchase if there is a willing seller. Senator Robbins. Leads to another question then. What budget provisions are there for buying back water? What price is, is the basis of that budget provision, if any? What are the range of prices that you're expecting and that you're willing to pay? What's the upper limit on prices offered? What's the total provision? Minister. Thanks, Senator Roberts. I provided information about this in response to similar questions from Senator Davey earlier in the debate. Um, there is provision in the Commonwealth budget for um, voluntary water purchase. Um, the relevant amounts are not for publication and the purpose, the, the reasoning for withholding those amounts from publication is because of the capacity for publication to impact on the market overall and also for, because of the need to preserve the Commonwealth's negotiating position to ensure we are able to obtain value for money for taxpayers should we make purchases. That is the government's Jenny McAllister speaking about whether buybacks can be done in Victoria uh, if the state doesn't sign up to the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. It sounds like they can. We'll have to keep an eye on that for you. As the debate continues, it's likely to pass either this afternoon or early tomorrow in terms of that legislation. Some of your texts coming in, more water down the Murray will destroy it and not make a lick of difference to the Darling. These governments uh, fools, says that text. Uh, I just heard Kenya Plibersek, uh, Warwick, say she was going to use common sense. That's going to be interesting, says one text. We'll take that one as a comment. Uh, we might take a few of the others as a comment too. Rod in Mulker has had 26 millimetres last night and this morning. Thank you for that. Uh, 26 millimetres over the weekend as well from Mick at Gifford. 13 millimetres till 9am and 13 since 9. Hosing down. At the moment, says Mick. Thanks, Mick. Love getting your texts as well. Right now, let's find out what's making regional news headlines around this great state. Natasha Shapova can help us with that. Good afternoon, Natasha. Good afternoon, Warwick. Making news. The Victorian Treasurer says the state government has received advice that it will have to repay electric vehicle taxes with interest to drivers forced to pay the levy. The tax was ruled unconstitutional by the High Court in October. Treasurer Tim Pallas says it's likely to take several months for the government to identify who's owed money. 
The SES has responded to 19 flood-related calls out, call-outs in Swan Hill in northwest Victoria since flash flooding occurred overnight and into this morning. Director of Infrastructure at Swan Hill Rural City Council Leah Johnston says the council has received reports some properties in the town were flooded. One local primary school and outdoor swimming pool have closed and the sewerage system has been overwhelmed and flooded temporarily in some areas. Bendigo Health staff have reported the hospital's electronic patient record system is putting some patients' health at risk, according to an internal report obtained by the ABC. Unidentified Bendigo health workers are quoted describing the system as inefficient, frustrating and a threat to patient safety. A Bendigo Health spokesperson says the concerns raised by staff have been taken very seriously and are being addressed. The Australian Workers' Union is disputing the outcome of a creditors' meeting yesterday held to decide the future of the Ballarat gold mine, which entered administration in March. The ABC understands administrators have accepted a creditor vote to sell the mine to Singaporean registered company Tom Sun as per its recommendation. But the union says it's concerned with how the meeting was run and believes the majority of creditors actually voted against the proposal. And that's the news. Thanks very much for that. Natasha Shapova there with regional news headlines. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Plenty more coming up for you on the Country Hour. We'll continue our look at uh, agriculture and its place in emissions policy as it's about to be debated at the Global Climate Change Conference COP28. Uh, Like never before for agriculture, a lot more debate around agriculture. That's why we're looking at it so closely. That coming up shortly. Before we get there, though, let's talk about the weather rather than the climate. And there's rain falling outside my window. Brian McPherson can tell me about it, a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. G'day, Brian. Hi, Warwick. How's it uh, looking around the state today? Yeah, look, it's pretty wet across uh, much of the state today, other than in the far west, maybe. Um, Got a low-pressure system that's intensified over southern New South Wales, and that's going to track down uh, the New South Wales big border area and out into the Tasman tomorrow, where it'll just hang around for a day or so um, and keep some of this heavier heavier rainfall going, uh, particularly about... Uh, parts of Gippsland over the next uh, day or so. Um, But today, while it's to our north, uh, we have uh, showers and some areas of rain um, over much of the state. Thunderstorms possible in the north with some possible heavy falls. Um, Up there, we saw some cells near Swan Hill in the early hours of the morning dump about uh, 80 or 90 mils. Um, in a few hours. So, yeah, plenty of moisture for these storms to tap into if they do get going. Even without the storms, um, as that low moves down towards the coast, we're going to get the east to southeasterly wind increasing uh, in the southern part of the state. And with that onshore flow, um, with a little bit of upside on, on the ranges, um, we're going to see some increased rainfall over uh, those southeast-facing slopes of any of the ranges. So talking about the, the Alpine area, the Strizlecki's, um, the Otways, and maybe also those ranges to the to the northwest of Melbourne as well, but uh, not quite as much as the others. So we're already seeing some decent rainfall through those areas, and we do have a severe weather warning for rainfall and damaging winds. So the main story really is is the rainfall with some particularly high totals 
um, expected in the 24-hour period. So, look, there might be some isolated falls in those warning areas of, you know, easily 50 to 100 mils. Um, and then in the more eastern parts of the warning area, getting into the 100 to 200 mil mark. Um, so, yeah, fairly significant rainfall. Uh, we have a flood watch current at the moment and our flood gurus will be having a closer look at that now that the rain started to fall see if we need to put any warnings out there. So keep an eye on our warning pages. Oh, that was my next question, um, really, about yeah. those flood watches and where it's falling. We heard earlier in the program, you wouldn't have heard, Brad, but earlier in the program we had farmers um, and community members downstream of Glen Maggie, which is Gippsland, the McAllister River there, particularly concerned. Is there a lot of rain falling and more expected in that part of the world? Yeah, look, there is, um, particularly being on those those southern slopes, um, just with that those southeasterly winds and that that bit of li- little extra bit of lift that um, when the wind goes up over the hills, it increases the rain rates. Uh, so, and because we're seeing that those southeasterlies hang around for a couple of days, there is a chance that we'll still see some fairly significant totals not just today, but uh, tomorrow as well, um, before they start to ease off. But still a little bit of a top-up rainfall on top of that um, going into Friday, Saturday through those parts of Gippsland. Um, so we will be watching that that part of the world very closely. Um, there's some very significant rainfall today that's um, over near the Malakuta area. Most of the heaviest stuff is uh, along the New South Wales south coast. Um, so we're not expecting anything as crazy as they're going to get, uh, but it's still going to be fairly significant, um, particularly through Gippsland today. Uh, and I suppose then moving on from that, what's the rest of the week looking like for us? Yeah, look, it settles down a fair bit after that. Um, so that low pressure system takes a while to move away, really. So we end up in those southeasterlies um, during Friday and Saturday as well. Uh, but we do... Does, it does ease off a little bit, but so you're still expecting showers um, across you know, all but the northwest of the state, uh, but just not as much as we're expecting today and, and tomorrow. Um, maybe the odd storm as well in the east as well. Uh, and then things do ease off a bit after that. So things start to clear off from Sunday, just those showers contracting out to the east and becoming a lot more settled on Monday and just gradually warming up as well once we get to Sunday. And as far as warnings-wise, you, you mentioned the, the severe thunderstorm warning, the, uh, the the flood watch as well. Is there anything else we need to keep an eye on over the next 24 hours or so? Yeah, look, just keep an eye on that severe weather warning. Um, we updated it this morning to include some extra parts of Gippsland um, that weren't in the previous warning. Um, I think it's looking, looking like it's on track. Uh, and then also, yeah, it's the, the risk of the flood warnings coming out um, later today or tomorrow as well, depending on how much rainfall we get and whereabouts. Yeah, so you've got, you've got a lot of the Gippsland rivers. Only a couple really in, in northeast Victoria, the Upper Murray and, and Midamid is it looks like the, the Goulburn's sort of missing out there from, from flood watches, which is probably a good thing, right? But, but am I correct in saying that? Uh, yeah, because, well, I mean, there's a bit of a risk today for some heavier falls up in the northeast as that low pressure system moves past. Um, but after that, really, it's because the flow is southeasterly. They're on the, the lee side of the ranges with regards to the to the rainfall. So the northeast sort of isn't in the firing line so much um, after today's done. And uh, I suppose then in terms of the other part of those warnings is the Otways and uh down that sort of part of the world, the uh, Barwon, Lee and Murrabul, Murrabul uh, rivers as well. How are they looking there? 
Yeah, look, a uh, little less of a risk for those, the Barwon and the Moorabool, um, and then also the, you know, I guess... Yeah, I'm a Western Victorian. Um, yeah, so the, I guess uh, it, it all really depends on how much rainfall falls on those sort of the, the elevation um, around that part of the world. There are some ranges. It's not as high, um, so we don't get as much upslope uh, as we would say over the Gippsland ranges and the and the Otways themselves. Um, the Otways are seeing some fairly decent falls already today, uh, decent rain rates. Um, so just a, a risk of uh, some of those rivers going up relatively quickly as well if it keeps raining like this. Brilliant. Bri, does, is there anything else we need to know? Uh, no, that's, that's it. Fantastic. Thanks for the update. Not a problem. Brian McPherson there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the full forecast there. Had a lot of questions, not as many from you today. Um, hopefully you're going all right. Give us a text if you've had some rainfall and what it's doing at your place, 0467842722. Let's continue our coverage as we work towards COP28 on the program right now. Carbon and nature markets are expanding across the world and credit schemes are being floated as a way for agriculture to help tackle climate change. Food systems will be high on the agenda at this year's Global Climate Conference COP28, which begins this week in Dubai. All of this week on ABC Rural, we've been looking at how agriculture is affected by and contributes to climate change. But farmers could also hold some of the solutions to the climate crisis, as Fiona Broom reports. Trees, soil and nature are recognised as some of the best tools for bringing down global carbon levels. Carbon and nature markets have sprung up in recent years as ways of managing emissions and rewarding conservation. They're broadly known as nature-based solutions. Carbon markets are the most well-established. They offer companies ways to compensate for emissions by reducing or storing carbon elsewhere. Farmers manage half of all the land in Australia, so carbon markets are seen as a potential new revenue stream for agricultural businesses. But are they the best tool for cutting carbon? We've got to be very careful when you put value on something like carbon that you don't just end up moving carbon around the landscape and the net result is the atmosphere doesn't benefit. And I think we're seeing too much of that happening already at the moment. Richard Eckard is a professor of sustainable agriculture. We've got to be careful about carbon markets because I think what's happened is the people that are meant to actually get the money are not getting the money as much as they should. You know, the, the brokers are actually achieving most of the gains out of the carbon markets. And in some cases, we're actually shifting deck chairs on the Titanic and not being serious. Farmers want to help mitigate emissions, according to Farmers for Climate Action CEO Natalie Collard. She says producers are receptive to carbon schemes so long as they don't operate in opposition to efforts to tackle climate change. I think like anything new, there's a lot of information that's required. Anything that's developed in terms of new markets, time plays a part in understanding whether they achieve the outcomes that they're um, setting out to do. What we hear from our 8,000 plus farmer members consistently is that they're really first and foremost focused on deep emissions reductions. First and foremost, they want a stable climate so that they can produce a stable food supply and do it profitably and productively. Second to that is that any offset markets are genuinely also supporting that objective and not a perverse outcome. National Farmers Federation President David Johinke says schemes need proper oversight to deliver benefits. 
What we've seen in some circumstances is blocks of land being purchased for offsetting of carbon being locked up and not being managed at all. We have weeds, we have pests that now live in those landscapes and actually putting pressure on food production outside of their system, let alone not maximising that natural environment that they're claiming as credits. Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance President Tammy Jonas says using agricultural lands to store carbon won't stop emissions from other industries. In the case of carbon markets in particular, you can't have it both ways where um, you pay farmers to sequester carbon, which is a worthy undertaking, and then let them sell those credits to the others who continue emitting at the same levels. It's giving the miners, uh, the extractive industries, a a get-out-of-jail-free card while the planet burns and they don't reduce emissions. So the food sovereignty movement and Indigenous movements the world over are strongly opposed to nature markets or any market-based solution for sequestering carbon. We could do like Europe does and subsidise farmers rather than fossil fuel companies. There's a novel idea. Professor Richard Eckard says systems that reward land stewards who are already storing carbon and boosting biodiversity could deliver real benefits. Nature repair markets, I think, are more optimistic for the long-term future. Currently, if you've got low soil carbon, we pay you to become high soil carbon. The, the people that have high soil carbon, we don't reward. Whereas in biodiversity markets, we'd be actually saying, if you've already got high biodiversity, we will recognize and reward that. So I, I think there's a difference between rewarding poor performers to become better, which we shouldn't be paying for, as opposed to rewarding farmers that have already done the right thing. The extreme example of that is if you've got high soil carbon, like most good, well-managed grazing systems would have maxed out on soil carbon already. The incentive is to put in a rotary hoe, plough it up, burn off all the carbon you've got so that you've got low carbon and then engage in a carbon scheme to rebuild it. Um, Instead of saying, well, if you've got 5% soil carbon, let's celebrate that and say you've got a wonderful outcome. We, We don't do that. And that's where nature repair markets might be better. That is the University of Melbourne Professor of Sustainable Agriculture, Richard Eckhart, ending that report from Fiona Broom. Uh, some of your texts coming in are interesting on this. Hamish, you've sent a few. You know, was uh, greenhouse gas emissions from Australia are now less than half of 1% of world emissions. Agriculture, less than 20%, as we've been saying this week, 17%. Um, of that half of 1%. Academics must have rocks in their head if they think Australian farmers can change the weather at all. 30 hot droughts, fires and floods. This is not new. It's long repeating cycles, says Hamish. Well, Hamish, there's a lot of academic literature, particularly around climate changing since the 30s. I won't get into that with you, but the first point is interesting about Australia and farming. We've been looking at this in the context of the globe. Australia is part of the agriculture in the globe, but, but this is a conference that's coming up it's an international conference, COP28, right? It's not. We're not just talking Australian agriculture here. It's a big picture look at what is being debated and ultimately this stuff filters back to you. And I'd imagine you want to know about that. Happy to keep taking your text. So 0467 842 722 if you want to send us a text. Let's get a little bit closer to home than international climate conferences right now. The price farmers are receiving at the sale yards for lamb and beef is likely to improve in the coming months as supply and demand steadies, according to a market analyst. But will farmers see the record highs of the few past years back in their paycheck, or will it be something different? Robert Herman is the Managing Director of Mercado Market Analysis, who's based in Ballarat. He says he's just returned to Victoria after interstate farm visits. I've just come back from uh, the Monero, so Cooma, Bombara, Braidwood, and, and meeting with farmers. It's interesting because that's an area that's been under the 
pressure of it, perhaps more so than than a lot, especially in Western Victoria, more so than that in terms of the weather. It's been dry, but it started to rain when we were there. And I can tell you that it's an interesting thing when you see farmers when it starts to rain. I think they might smell it beforehand and they, their confidence lifts already. And so that was good to see. It's no secret that cattle and sheep prices are certainly pretty disappointing at the moment for farmers. Mm. How, with people you've been speaking with recently, how are they feeling? Well, yeah, they are disappointing prices. I suppose there's a level of shock, not not just amongst the farmers, but amongst everybody, including ourselves, as to how far they fell. You know, that was a huge movement, both in sheep and lamb and cattle prices. However, when you start to analyse or break it down and look for some of the reasons it does add up and it's, it's sort of the multiplier effect so you get a, a situation where we have processes struggling to come out of COVID and build their labour force at the same time you've got farmers saying I'm going to start to destock earlier than normal because I'm worried about the season and those sort of multiplier effects coincide and it does hit prices. We did have a look at this though Jane and since 1970 the market and we talk sheep and lamb here but the market has fallen 50% or thereabouts 10 times since 1970. So it's not a new occurrence. It feels worse this time because you come off a really high. We come off a record high. But that said, it falls 50% 10 times. One of the things we learned from that, though, is that when you do the go back and have a look at what happens, is that within two to three months, the market recovers 25%. And with six to nine months, the market recovers 50%. That's based on the past. So it gives you some confidence that even though when you think things are at their lowest, we know that things can improve. So your prediction is that people will feel a lot happier in three to six months' time? I think so. I know they're feeling happier than they were three months ago even, So, and that's just uh, without much happening in the market. I think the other thing, Jane, is that's positive for the sheep industry is the amount of stock that are going through our processes. You know, we know that they've had a battle getting their labour force up, but the job they've done, the numbers this month are a record in recent history. It's just fantastic. And But what it means is that we're shifting product out of our market. If you compare that with, say, the last two years, a lot of those little light lambs that are being slaughtered now were being turned out and came back in the second half of the season. So we're dealing with that. And again, that points to some sort of optimism that in you know we get through the new year, supply is going to steady. We know demand is strong because it's going through the, the meatworks and it's, it's going to our markets. You're careful about being too gung-ho when things are where they are but it does look like there's a fair bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Locally, uh, you're also from Ballarat. Mm. Overall, how's the cropping situation looking at the moment? We know that people are a little bit concerned about the rain that's Mm. coming up. How's that all looking at the moment? It's a a funny... Somebody said once, what if farmers could control the weather? I mean, nobody would agree, would they? I think... I mean, rain's always a a concern, but I think people in our districts who had crops... We're really looking forward to harvest. I mean, it was going to be another good year on top of, you know, several good years. Prices are good. You know, the, the grains industry would be just pinching themselves a little bit when they look around at what's happening with uh, sheep and cattle. And with sheep and cattle in the local region, how, how's everything been going price-wise at the sale yards? Yeah, look, we looked at some numbers this week, actually. Average lamb price in Ballarat this year is, is around $98. So that's for all the lambs that have been sold this season. If you go back two years ago, it was $208. So that puts in perspective of where it was. Pretty uh, staggering difference. It's a staggering difference, that's correct. That's a good way to look at it because was the $208 too much? Is the $91 
not enough? And probably the answer to both is yes. But I think we'll see that market average steadily improve now. We're already seeing that with that little bit of rain we've had, the hint of you know better season, and also people looking at some of these cheaper stock and saying, "Gee, I've got I've got some feed in somewhere, and I can you know I'll buy them and bring them back in later." That puts a flaw under the market too. That's Managing Director of Mercado Market Analysis, Robert Herman, speaking there with Jane McNaughton. You're listening to The Country Hour. Look, just before we get to markets, let's let's just address some of these texts coming in. First, the fun, and when we're talking about the, the rain, Alex at Savanax had 17 millimetres. If you want to get a rainfall total in, send it in mighty quick. Uh, this one says, Warwick, just a wild guess with this weather. I reckon there might be a lot of farmers with a header parked up walking up and down like a caged lion. If that's you, I'd love to see a text of your caged lion face. Um, but I'd imagine you might even be catching up on some sleep. You can send those texts through to 0467-842-722. Then there's this one, right? And which I've noticed whilst we've been playing our series looking at agriculture and emissions, which is being debated internationally this which week, which I would imagine is something you would want to hear about if people are talking about your industry at an international scale. Uh, this one says, climate change was... One of the ABC's favourite BS stories. I find that interesting because, as you know, I've been on the road this week to the Cattle Australia Forum uh, and AGM. We've been to the Dairy Australian AGM yesterday. Meat and Livestock Australia AGM, which Jay McNaughton went to recently, have all been on in Victoria. And you know what the biggest issue was raised by all of those producer-funded and led organisations, the boards are stacked with cattle producers or dairy farmers, depending on the industry. You know what I'm saying? All of them identified climate change, carbon emissions as the biggest things they needed to look to address within their industries. That's not the ABC saying that. That is me reporting what your fellow farmers are talking about. And we wouldn't be doing our jobs, Anthony, if we weren't reporting on what agricultural industry is talking about on a program like the Country Hour. I know you think you're having fun having texts like that, but I think that is really important context for people to think. This is not us driving this. This is what your industry is talking about. And if you don't like that, sign up to your industry organisation and make them change the conversation. But having a crack at us isn't going to change what your industry thinks is a really serious issue and what they're trying to address, right? But as always, happy to take your text. Happy to have this conversation with you because that's part of the fun of this job. 0467 842 722. Let's go to markets. Oh, to market, to market. We've got a couple to get through today. Let's start in Lean Gather with a cattle market report there coming to you today from Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Brendan. G'day, Warwick. There are 110 fewer at 1370, with a larger group of buyers operating in a dearer market. Quality was similar in the grown and improved in the trade. Trade lots lifted 10 to 20 cents. Ground steers and bullocks gained 10. Manufacturing steers jumped 20 to 40 cents. Heavy heifers kicked 30. Cows sold 20 to 40 dearer. Heavy bulls gained 20. Vealers sold from 220 to 306. Yearling trade steers 230 to 288. The heifer portion 200 to 270, ground steers and bullocks 230 to 245, heavy Friesian steers 180 to 235, crossbreds 213 to 246, most light and medium weight cows 124 to 189, heavyweights 150 to 233, heavy bulls 176 to 230. 
This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. Let's go to the Horsham sheep market now with Graham Palmer. Good afternoon, everyone. Lamb supply was back a little at 6,100, an increase in sheep numbers to 3,600. Quality range from plain to very good with a mix of all weights. Use a buying group operating in a dearer market with more interest and competition. Lamb sold from $10 to $15 at up on last week. The heavy lambs, $5 to $10 dearer. Medium and heavy trade weight sold from 121 to 136. Heavy young lambs from 166 to 174. Shorn young lambs from 105 to 134. Old lambs from 122 to 149. A few merino lambs from 77 to 91. Restockers paid 58 to 92 and lighter weights from 23 to 55. The sheep sold for deer a trend with more buying strength to be $5 a deer on the lighter weights, 10 to $20 a head deer on the heavier sheep and more in places. Merino used made to 85, heavy crossbreed used to 75. Been Grand Pine with Horsham from LA. Couple of quick texts just before we get to the Hamilton market. Yep, COP28 is a really big deal. The decisions made there will impact us in the future and won't go away. We need to be ready and proactive, says David in Mortlake. Uh, thank you for your text as well, Rhonda. And to everyone sending me one-page screenshots trying to convince me that climate change isn't real or where our emissions sit. That's not what the conversation we're having we're talking about an international climate conference that's talking about all of agriculture, including us. You can keep the text coming in. I'll read some more in a moment, but I do have to keep playing markets. Here's Graham Palmer. Uh, not Graham Palmer. This is Chris Agnew at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. Agents yarded 55,000 lambs at Hamilton this week, an increase of 7,000. Despite the lift in, in numbers on offer, the quality was excellent overall, showing freshness and more weight. A full field of processes were present, including both supermarket chains. However, there was a fully active restocker and store competition across the sale. As a result, the sale was stronger over most categories to be 5 to $8 per head dearer. More so for the heavy end, with the lambs over 26 kilos. New Seasons lambs sold to 195, with the most New Seasons lambs to the trade making between 480 and 560 cents. Light 12 to 16 kg lambs made from 45 to 92. Lambs to the trade 18 to 22, 80 to 138. The 22 to 26s, 116 to 154. This is an interim report as the sale is still in progress. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Almost sorry. Also sorry for nearly calling you, Graham, as well. A couple of texts coming in just before we finish the country hour today. Rob says, Hi, Warwick. Dairy Australia and Cattle Australia don't reflect the majority views of farmers. Well, they are the peak body groups for, for those farming industries, Rob. And if they don't reflect the majority of views of farmers, we'll get a majority together and then create an organisation and come and tell me what you want to talk about and I'll happily report on that. Uh, <laughs> look, this is fun. I am enjoying this discussion with you and I hope it can continue. And if you want to go over the words I've said and call me out on anything I've said, guess what? We have a podcast. You can do just that. Download the Victorian Country Hour podcast wherever you uh, get podcasts or in the ABC Listen app. Just search Victorian Country Hour and you can go back, listen text the next day. There's even a call and text button in the Listen app as well so you can send me your thoughts and I love hearing them. You can also send us an email countryhour at abc.net.au to be involved in the program. Countryhour at abc.net.au 
Hoo-wee, I've been mighty surly today. It's great to have your input in the program, and I genuinely do love having these discussions with you. So let's do it all again tomorrow.